This is Hawaii Rising, a podcast from the Hawaii People's Fund. I'm Suyuno Amos. I'm Kenji Cataldo. Our guests today are Laura and Victoria, the founders of Project Koa Yoga. Project Koa Yoga diversifies yoga and wellness in Hawaii while uplifting Hawaii's people, land, and culture. They are expanding what yoga can look like in Hawaii by offering lots of different programs that increase people's access to yoga. Teaching trauma-informed yoga and meditation with NGO partners who serve marginalized communities such as houseless folks and survivors, as well as providing scholarship-based yoga teacher training for BIPOC and queer, trans, intersex, asexual, two-spirit, and mahu folks. In our interview from October, we asked Laura and Victoria about what it means to approach yoga and wellness with a trauma-informed approach and how their work fits into broader movements for social justice in Hawaii. All right, so today we are speaking with Laura and Victoria of Project Koa Yoga. Um, Could you just introduce yourselves, maybe say a little bit about your background in yoga and tell us a little bit about how Project Koa Yoga came to be? Yeah. Aloha, everyone. My name is Laura Nohealani Iniko Toyofukuaki. I have been practicing yoga um, for almost 20 years, I think 18 years. The fun story about this, the origin story of my yoga journey is I actually took my very first yoga class here in Hawaii, in Honolulu. Uh, I was visiting my family and a cousin of mine was like, just come, come try And I pretty quickly fell in love with it. Um, And I fell in love with, maybe we'll talk about this later, but the asana portion, the movement portion. I had been a dancer my whole life and was looking for something else to keep moving and found yoga, was introduced to yoga. What you find, I think, after you start to practice for a while is there's so much more than the movement. Um, And that's where I think it became more of like a lifestyle for me. Uh, so, so yoga started in movement and has now become an entire way that I am able to, uh, make myself whole, to show up as a different person, to look at what healing looks like for myself, for past generations, for future generations, uh, changes my orientation towards challenging circumstances, challenging times that we live in, um, and society in general. So it has become a lifestyle more than movement. Uh, and it is also still, still a really beautiful way for me to move my body. Uh, so that's a little bit about my yoga journey. And yeah. I'm Victoria. I'm obviously the other half, the, the co-founder. Um, people like to joke and say I'm the project of Project Koa Yoga um, because I connected with Laura on a more social service, interesting dynamic where she was practicing yoga as uh, practicing, let me just be very actually matter of fact, practicing trauma-informed yoga at a shelter nearby where I was actually next door running a similar shelter, but for young um, minors, youth around the ages of 12, sometimes um, transitional age youth, like 18. And, you know, she was so sweet. 
I, I tell this story a lot to people because she literally came like looking like who we would say like a yoga teacher. She had her mat and she was like, hi, hello, I'm Laura. And I'm like having a whole bunch of kids, ne- t- teenagers near me. And we're trying to run into the shelter. And we're like, who is this? What do you want? What are you talking about? Um, and that started how really Project Co Yoga is. It's really touching base with folks, having an understanding, teaching them that yoga is for everyone. Um, she sold this idea that I can even have teach yoga in your facility. Um, you can even be a teacher yourself and not to make this a whole hour and a half podcast, but after many, many discussions of those broad ideas, teaching yoga, being a facilitator of color, being BIPOC, having trauma-informed yoga in a shelter for teenagers, at a homeless shelter, at a transitional age shelter, with pregnant uh, people, with um at a domestic violence shelter, um, I was just like, this is very intriguing. And, and and she does have a background in social services as well. But that's so, sort of like my thing, um, being that she didn't want just someone else that taught yoga. She didn't want someone else to go into business on a, on a mind frame that is just about expanding and diversifying, but it's also someone who knows the community, knows different aspect aspects of connections to community, BIPOC community especially, and not afraid to talk about the need for culture embedded into different wellness practices. And so she felt like I was that missing piece, essentially, and we're both sort of nonprofit, NGO, social service kind of people, but we understood like if we're going to go into this business and we make these business decisions, we're going to go in as two co-founders, two uh, women of color and try to um, change the, the framing, the narrative, the landscape of what yoga looks like in Hawaii. Um, and and yeah, and then she'll she'll be able to kind of expand more on why it was important to have a business partner because actually Laura started this idea and had Project Koa a year before we had actually met. Um, she already had things in mind where she knew she wanted to do a yoga teacher training for BIPOC. Specifically, she knew that she wanted to incorporate yoga more into the community, whether it be transitional homes, schools, um, other kind of learning centers or community centers. Um, and literally, we all know it takes a village. You can't do this all alone. Um, so I appreciate and respect the time it took for her to kind of find that matching person. And I'm honored to be that other half. And just um, in case some people aren't familiar with the term, could you give a brief explanation about what trauma-informed yoga, what that means? Yeah, so I love the, I really love this question. So thank you for asking it. Because one, trauma-informed is a really hot catchphrase right now. I think it's popping up in a lot of spaces. Uh, And in yoga, there's specifically like a trauma-informed and a trauma-sensitive. You'll see those two phrases usually. um, Or also sometimes trauma-conscious yoga. So I'll just share, I think language is important. And the way that I have taken this language um, and the way I see it. So I think when you are sensitive to something, I almost imagine like an an empath or qualities of 
an empath. It is that like, I know trauma has occurred. I can feel it. I can see it. Um, but this like sensitivity to it. And that's not what we do. Uh, one thing that we really specifically train our teachers is that we are not therapists and we are not doctors, right? We are yoga teachers. So I'm not here to diagnose anyone, to prescribe anything, to say, to not go to see a doctor or that there aren't other avenues that might be necessary. That's not our role. Um, so to be trauma-informed is for us to actually educate our teachers on what is happening in the body when trauma is occurring, when trauma has occurred, uh, when we're experiencing intergenerational trauma, which is a lot of uh, the work that we are dealing with. So what does that look like, uh, both on a biological, physiological level, and then how does it manifest in the actions, our behaviors. So that is what we do. We inform folks on the signs of trauma. There's a lot of research out there, a lot of information. And then we take the science that we know of so far behind yoga. What happens when you meditate? What happens when you practice pranayama? What happens when you get rest, right, for eight hours? What happens if you do a yoga nature practice? Can we give folks the information on all of it? And then we let folks teach their class, right? And I think that's where um, things can get really creative and, and you're doing what you know and you're pulling from your familial lineage and your learning and you're creating something new. Um, but our, our difference between the two is we are educating folks on what is trauma, what is happening in the body, what is happening in the mind, what is happening in your soul and how are you going to use these really specific tools uh, to help navigate life. Laura, could you give um, just an example of how that kind of trauma-informed education translates into a yoga practice or in a yoga class? Yeah, yeah. So I'll give you an example of what we, the classes that we teach, a trauma-informed class that we would teach. Um, yeah, so thank you again for this question, because our classes are different. When we teach a trauma-informed class, it's not what you are going to expect uh, when you walk into a studio. So a trauma-informed class, one piece that we always start and end with is a talk story. We hang out, we talk story, we maybe have a theme or something we're talking about. We usually do. Um, but our first belief is community starts with connection. Right. And connection is just about like, what's your name? What's going on? How are you feeling? What the, how are you doing? What'd you eat today? Did you sleep last night? Right. Very general personal questions. Uh, so we always talk story. It definitely helps us build rapport with folks. And then we would start to get into a specific a theme. Um, so a theme that I actually taught this week was belonging. What does it mean to belong in a space? What does it mean when you belong, right? Like how does it help you build confidence to try something new? Um, so we talk about this theme, this word, and then we start to move. And so for a theme like belonging, we would do really big warrior poses. And our warrior poses are about taking up space and being in our body and feeling bold and strong. And then we would play and do some balance and see what it feels like to kind of do something new. And how does being in a group of people that you feel safe with help you do something new? And then we do a meditation. And our meditation, the first meditation I led was all about the spaces we already belong in, right? The communities we already take part of, the family, the friends, our identities, where we already fit. 
And then our second part of our meditation was what happens when we're in spaces where we don't fit? And what type of qualities do we want to embody? What do we need to practice so that we can start to find that courage in ourselves uh, to find the spaces we belong in new spaces? So we do this whole practice and then we wrap up with another discussion, talk story um, about what do people already do when they don't belong? So what practices do they already have? And we all share in community. Like, what do we do? What do you do when you don't feel safe or courageous or brave? Um, and we share together. So that is like how we set up a trauma-informed uh, class. But I would say the biggest difference that we do at Project Koa, and it is a cultural piece to Hawaii, is talk story. Um, yeah. And I, I talk about this a lot. I think people of culture all have seen their aunties in the kitchen talking story while they make food. We know what it feels like to be in community in that way. And so I don't think you can cut that out. I think that's a big part of, of any community healing. So Koa Yoga has a strong social justice lens in thinking about yoga. And I guess that makes me think about two questions. One is, what is... Um, the importance of that lens for changing yoga and the kind of the yoga scene in Hawaii. And then on the flip side, what is it that yoga has to offer kind of social justice circles and, and movements? Yes, I love that. Um, and I love how there are two questions because I would definitely think that Laura would attack the first one and I'm going to like go ham on the second one. But I can interject a little bit on the first question because what it looks like is not being afraid to say that it is whitewashed. Yoga is whitewashed. There is not an emphasis on BIPOC folks. There's not an emphasis on it being accessible to folks that are, um, uh, we, we can say, the phobias out there that are fat phobic folks that aren't leading and instructing such classes, um, folks that are um, limited in access with mobility. Um, we don't see a lot of advertisements for chair yoga or, um, you know, just just what the typical is, is not what is even not just in Hawaii, but also across the board. Um, so what it looks like is making sure that in our, especially diversifying it, means by looking it, by seeing it, by experiencing it, by changing the narrative. And that's important to us. Um, and we're not afraid um, to mention that because that takes part into the second, your second question, Kenji. And it's almost like so important because the roots of yoga, which I'm learning, right? Because I am a prime example of your first question. I am of mixed race. I am not in the yoga scene. I'm the typical person who feels uncomfortable going into a yoga studio to practice. I'd rather do it at home with a, a teacher online that looks like me, that sounds like me, that can put on Kendrick Lamar or that can put on Nina Simone or that can put on, you know, some other local music. Um, I mean, I love every other I love every music, but sometimes, you know, you wake up and you want to feel connected to something, especially when it has to do with your wellness and well-being. And when we talk about wellness and well-being, we're talking about mental health. We're talking about physical health. We're talking about social, environmental, economical health. Like how are we, one, thinking about yoga when we don't, when we can't think about it financially? Like I can't afford a class. 
And then also financially, I don't look, um, excuse me, visually, I don't look like everybody. And I don't purchase yoga pants and, and a top that looks like that or a very nice mat. I don't even know mats can run up to like hundreds of dollars. Like I didn't know that, you know. Um, so being that we need to take care of our community and, and implementing something like wellness and then you go deeper and it doesn't have to be so physical. Um, that kind of introduced me to the idea of yoga and looking at it at a different lens. And you have to. And any social justice movement. We're not just looking at what people think of like house houselessness or, um, you know, fighting for causes of racist, you know, racism or whatnot. We can start small and that's our, our, our wellness in our community and maybe even at home and, and start to change the narrative is something that you know best. Laura knows yoga. You know, Laura said, I could take this piece and integrate it and for the bigger picture, it tackles all these different social justice issues. And there's now a lot more social justice oriented yoga teachers also doing the same thing. Yeah, yeah, I think that's kind of two parts. I'll, I'll start with folks who work in any really any social service, even caregivers, right? Even um the, the person who's at home raising their family or taking care of their grandparents. I think everyone who's living in, or in the role of a caretaker is dealing with a lot. Uh, and it's not only a lot of times like physical stress of having to care for somebody, but it's also the emotional stress of seeing people that we love uh, going through transitions and changes in their life. So in that regard, the practice of yoga and, and on a a much vaster or larger scale is meditation, mindfulness, uh, principles of how to live. And when we look at all of those things for caretakers, these can be really valuable, right? So maybe you can't get on your mat and do a 60 minute vinyasa flow, but could you take five minutes to like breathe and calm your nervous system and show up fuller for yourself. So then when you show up in a space to take care of others, you are in the right headspace. Um, and your body doesn't take on as much, uh, of the experience of the other person you're taking care of. So when I think about caretakers, that's where I think yoga can be super helpful to ground you, uh, to give you this foundation and the stability when times are, are changing and shifting. And we saw that a lot, I think, coming out of COVID and in COVID, uh, a lot of the partners we have were 24 seven facilities. They were in it. They did not get time off. They were never at home. If anything, they were working more uh, and away from their families and had a lot of you know health risk. And so we were there with them to say like, how can we support you? Because the work you do is so important. And a lot of folks depend on you showing up and showing up in a really full way. So I think in, in that regard of, of folks who are you know, in the front lines of social justice issues, of social service, of caring for their families. That's how yoga can be uh, supporting their holistic care. Now, the second part of how does social justice come to yoga? I think it always was a part of yoga. I think we lost it in the West when yoga was colonized and capitalized. Um, and so we're just trying to show that it was always there. So one of the first principles of yoga is this term ahimsa. If you look at any yoga, 
yoga, yogi, yoga teacher who's talking about social justice, they're talking about this principle, ahimsa. And ahimsa means non-harming. Um, but more importantly, uh, it means that when harm is being done, you are standing up and you are uh, taking responsibility and, and standing side by side with the folks who are being harmed to say that this is not right. Um, so it's not just about saying like, oh, I'm not causing harm. It's also saying, no, there's harm being done in the world. And what am I going to do about that as a global citizen? Um, so that's where I think you can't remove social justice away from yoga. Uh, but I think it has been removed in a lot of spaces because it's not always, you know, people don't always want their yoga with that social justice lens. <laughs> they want the yoga that's going to make them feel uh, good. And, and a lot of these issues don't make you feel good because I, you know, one of our amazing students said, um, if you want to decolonize yoga spaces, you have to admit that your space is colonized. Right. And so I think the, the social justice lens, when you put it in your yoga, you have to actually look at, Oh, what ways am I actually causing harm? Even though I don't want to see that. Right. So, yeah, I think in that in that space, we can be a little uncomfortable, um, but it's also so important. Like, that's the world we live in. Yeah, that's really powerful. Kind of an active non-harming rather than a passive non-harming. Um, yeah, thanks for sharing that. Um, Victoria, could you just share with us about all of the kinds of programs that Project Koa Yoga offers and the yoga teacher training cohort that is brand new? Yes, I would love to, um, you know, especially because I'm like the project part of Project Koa Yoga. No, I'm joking. Um, but when we first started, our biggest vision was bringing and uh, bringing yoga to the folks in our community who we needed to not just change the narrative and have access to it, be just exposed to it um, so they could just start thinking differently. Right. Um, and then we also wanted to have representation in making sure that it's accessible. So we want to bring it to them. So one of our biggest, biggest, um, one of our biggest part or biggest program is bringing yoga to the community of shelter-based, transitional-based. Um, I don't want to say houseless because these folks are in a place where they are temporarily having seeking shelter, right? So we have a population that we work with that or that we get to have these experiences with that are of different ages. And um, different backgrounds. So I could talk a little bit about our partners, which there's a homeless shelter for transitional age youth, 18 to 24. There's a shelter specific to the population that are being exploited, sexually exploited. Um, we also are in a treatment center with youth and minors that are um, severely emotionally disturbed, experiencing different mental health crises. And we also work with veterans. We also do programming based on your level of need or request. So for example, we were able to participate recently in a local like basketball summer camp. And, you know, the idea was to just kind of introduce them to um, consent your body. And who thinks of contacting a yoga teacher for that? 
So that's already changing that narrative because you are in your body, you're practicing. The the practitioners are very aware, especially trauma-informed practitioners, are very aware of that need to be able to offer and acknowledge your own consent over your own body. So even from that of just being aware to teach them about consent and awareness, you can move into movement. You can go into showing them how you can do a pose or maybe a pose is not comfortable for you. So you don't um, initiate it and you can speak up for yourself and say, hey, this is actually uncomfortable to me because of this. So then it's also like the opportunity to voice and take ownership of, of your body. And that just was in like a mini summer camp, like a day or so. Um, And then, you know, we also integrated into our mission of, well, Laura's goal, Laura's dream is to have more teachers be able to do that. Have more teachers qualified in trauma-informed yoga so they can go into that shelter and they look like the people that they are serving. That is very important, right? Especially in Hawaii and the culture and the representation. And that we're not just saying how you look. We're saying everything, how you talk, what um, ancestral images or ancestral, excuse me, um, you know, conversations are you having? Um, And, you know, a lot of people can remember like, you know, just like even small talking and healing circles, like, come on, let's get together and talk story. And then let's stretch a little bit. And then let's do this. And it doesn't have to be this well evolved. Okay. Got to get this practitioner who's been practicing yoga in a yoga studio for 15 years. It doesn't have to look like that. So that kind of started this vision of hers that was like, I can, we can, we can do this. Like, let's do a a yoga teacher training. I have the tools in my toolkit. I have really great people that are qualified and knowledgeable in different areas, such as Hawaiian culture, that I'd want to incorporate into this yoga teacher training. That's 200 hours. And I also want to put it to the, put it out to the community that it should be something that you should be able to do. You should have something that you can access. You can have something that has very little barriers so that there aren't just the typical people who we think that are the um, uh, more on the good financial end and not BIPOC can afford a two to three thousand. Actually, I heard it's now three to five thousand dollar yoga teacher training. I don't know. This could be all new language to people that really aren't knowledgeable of yoga. But even for me, I'm like three to $5,000 for certification. I mean, okay. And then, then you go deeper and you're like 200 hours that can get done in two and a half, three weeks. How is that possible? People got jobs, people got kids, to, you know, they got cooked dinner at night and where's their rest time and where's everything that happens. So with creating this BIPOC specific scholarship means we want you to be in the community representing something that we are very, very strongly um, trusting that you can do and you should do. So let's make it accessible to you. So the uniqueness of our BIPOC first cohort, BIPOC inspired, led and centered is that it's accessible. We tried to eliminate as many barriers as we could. We made it community. We made it family. We made it where it's not like this, sorry, but I signed up for this course. Boom, bam. Here's a capstone. Do it. Let's see if you can graduate. 
There's much support. And then there's also the follow up after that. She knew that there would be challenges where, for example, I joined and I never really saw myself as a teacher. But in all honesty, not everybody signs up to do this because they are just going to be a teacher. You're, you're learning about the fundamentals. I'm learning about Hawaiian culture. I'm learning about my community and I'm learning about what the needs are in my community. And I'm learning about how to treat my body. And that's the number one thing that I want to translate to just not my own family, but the people I'm always around because full circle that has to do with mental health. That has to do with your, you know, emotional health. That It's just so, um, you know, well-rounded in, in knowing all of these things were embedded into this 200 hours. And I was like, oh, and you know, I'm, I'm probably not going to teach yoga like some students in the class, but I do want to maybe one day as I continue to take certain, uh, you know, classes or, or learn and, 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 and do some readings on some different practices and get comfortable with my body. Maybe I'll do something at my house for my friends, or maybe I'll do something with, you know, one of the folks at the shelter. It doesn't have to be for a price. It could be an offering to the community. And then maybe I could do something like during the holiday after, you know, we celebrate gift openings or something and be like, you know what, let's meditate a little bit here. <laughs> we all just need to turn it down just a little bit. So I'm excited about that because I learned how verse it is. And how it is actually made for everybody. It's really cool to hear um, a little about your experience in this training, especially as someone, like you said, um, didn't really see yourself as part of the yoga scene or really engaging in that. Um, I'm wondering if you can maybe share your vision of how um, Koa Yoga, um, well, I guess your vision for the future and what you want this project to become um, what kinds of impacts you want to, to see in the future? Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, I don't think we, when we started Project Koa, we were saying like, how do we decolonize business? Um, so I think in regards to like vision, we're not thinking about, you know, monetary growth. We're not thinking about like how many spaces can we be in? Um, but instead we're thinking about like how many families can this come home to? Right. How can we make this more accessible to folks? How can we show up in spaces and say, like, no, this is for you. This is about you. You are welcome here. Um, so I think in that regard, it's more about contact and community for us. Uh, so our hope is to get on every part of Oahu to start to go into the outer islands to continue to train more teachers who are trauma informed, uh, you know, I will say a big dream one day is that all the folks who are coming to Hawaii to host their resorts and their cool trainings start to pay into a way that makes wellness more accessible to local folks, to Kanaka Maioli. So that would be a big dream one day to figure out a system to, to make that possible. But I think our biggest um, win for Project Koa Yoga is to say like wellness is for every single person. And that there's no reason, whether it is financial, time, like there's no reason why we can't make wellness accessible to everyone. Um, and so that is like, yeah, you might have kids in your class. You might have to give classes for free. You might need to change where your classes are held to make wellness accessible. Uh, so that is our, our goal. Something you were saying earlier 
about um, how yoga can support caretakers um, was, I think, really resonant with me. And, and also some of the other um, conversations that we've been having with folks who are talking about the need to also to malama um, people in the movement. And yeah, I guess I'd love to hear your thoughts about kind of the role maybe that Koa Yoga plays in, in this kind of broader movement thinking across kind of all of the uh, HPF grantees, I think the work that you're doing uh, is bringing a really unique, um, it's, it offers something really unique to the broader HPF movement. Um, and so I'd just love to hear your thoughts about kind of your perspective uh, as a yoga teacher or as a yoga teacher in training and your vantage point from Koa Yoga. Yeah, thank you. Laura knows I want to say something because this is like totally our jam, you know, and, and Kenji, I do want to thank you. And so, you know, about your wonderful questions, because it's that it's, that is what our practice is. That is like community for us. You're even recognizing the work that we do for the activists on the streets. And, you know, um, me as a yoga teacher trainee and, you know, the impact that Laura makes and the other teachers that I've seen going into these um, home, these transitional shelter, uh, housing areas, um, you know, a quick little summary is like connections. It's definitely community over connections. When I even think of HPF, I just think of, you know, so, you know, in a cohort and how I know other members through a missing and murdered and Native Hawaiian women and girls task force and how we go to Aala Park and we offer whatever they need, like yoga, if they were or if they're interested. But we also partner with Project Vision, who does showers, you know, so it's so community and it's so connecting. And I just am so glad to be a part of Project Koa Yoga in that sense, because you can't have Project Koa, the the firming wood that we stand on and that we have our ancestral love for, the Aina and everything that we do, our Kuleana, everything that wraps around one major thing, and that's community. That's our people, our ancestors. Um, and then you can't have all, you can't miss that and then expect to do yoga, like point blank period. What I've learned in this training is that yoga cannot exist with any of that. It's so much more than Laura said. It's so much more than movement. It doesn't even come to my mind that yoga is only movement. I can't even think that way anymore, you know? Um, and we can be a cohort in the low E and then tomorrow we're doing like a food drive for our houseless folks and then we're supporting one of our teachers doing their first class on a Saturday BIPOC. Like, who does that? Project Koa Yoga. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say, I think it's really great how, um, you know, your your definition of yoga is so much more expansive and um, just... Uh, really rooted in, in the origins of yoga more than what people typically understand as yoga. And I think because that definition is so broad and so expansive, it really allows you to um, impact community in all of these different ways. Because it's like, yeah, even though you're not doing asana, um, even if you're doing a food drive, like there is also a way to see that as yoga. Um, so I just think that that's really cool. Um, 
for anyone who's listening uh, who would be interested in learning more about Project Koa Yoga or supporting your work or getting involved in some way, what are the best ways for people to plug in? Yeah, I think our Instagram is probably uh, the, the best way. Um, we post everything on there. The other thing is we're going to start launching a quarterly newsletter. Uh, so we are going to regularly offer opportunities to be in community and do service. Uh, so part of that is our BIPOC classes, uh, showing up to support BIPOC teachers in Hawaii. Um, the other thing is we offer twice a quarter, um, yoga in the park for free for houseless folks with our partners. And then everyone brings their services and we are going to be going once a quarter to the Lutni. So if folks want to come and support and be just be in community with us, uh, we have lots of opportunities. So if you can get on our newsletter, that'll be a really good way to, to find out all those dates and how to uh, sign up. But I think the number, the fastest way to see us and get to know us is to show up for our BIPOC classes. <laughs> those are every week. Yeah. And for me, I don't know if we're at this place, but I want to get it out before I forget because I want to paint a scene. I always do that because I know for me as a podcast listener and those that are listening today and they're like, who are these amazing people? I just want <laughs> you to know that we all four of us are in this white, ivory, pure, ancestral color wearing right now. We are beautiful BIPOC folks. <laughs> Our pronouns can range from she, her, they, them, he, him. And I think we actually might have someone named Kenji who might be interested in being a teacher because I think he sees himself as one already. <laughs> and that, as you as a listener, that's how easy it is to change the narrative and see yourself as someone who practices and teaches yoga. Yeah. Oh, thank you for that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's really great. Thanks for <laughs> <laughs> visualizing that for our listeners. I was just going to say, sticking with the theme of like belonging and courage, like we, we can't change the diversity narrative without seeing teachers that look like you, right? Like that is the big thing. We need folks who, who have a range of looks and identities so that future generations say like, this is for me. Um, and, and you give them courage to keep doing this. So yes, thank you for that narrative. And, and I will say on, on also with that is uh, we have a gentleman in our current cohort who is blind, who led us through a beautiful meditation this last weekend, visualizing his favorite beach. And it was just like, Oh my God, this is why we need diversity because I could never have done that. This is why it's so important. <laughs> wow. I um, you know, I guess one other question I have actually maybe for Siuno, <laughs> um, since you have participated, I'm just curious if there's anything you want to add about your experience. Oh, good idea, Kenji. <laughs> um, I mean, I think, I think, you know, what I was saying a little bit ago really speaks to my big takeaway from, from participating in the cohort is just this expansion of what yoga can be and looks like. And also that, I guess on another note, you know, from, from the other cohort members, um, I just 
can really tell how transformative this experience has been and how empowering it has been for people to, um, see themselves as like, yeah, I can take up space in this, you know, white dominated wealth dominated field and I can do it differently and I can make it mine. And, um, I think that that's been really exciting to see. And I'm really excited to see where everyone goes with all of, all of the amazing, I mean, also, you know, Lauren, Lauren Victoria really created, a. uh, bombshell of a curriculum in terms of like bringing in all of these amazing guest teachers and every teacher, you know, was, uh, someone that you don't typically see when you walk into your regular yoga studio here on Oahu, you know, or really anywhere in Hawaii. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been a very like, diverse buffet of learning and we ate so you know we ate. <laughs> <laughs> love that well on that very um nourishing note um i guess you know if you have any other thoughts before we close just want to say a huge mahalo to both of you for creating this space and hawaii hawaii's people's fun um, yeah, the community you folks have built has been such a, such an amazing opportunity for us. So thank you for believing in Project Koa Yoga and supporting us. Yeah. Words right out of my mouth. I am so honored to be here. I'm like continually getting like chicken skin as we sit here. Cause we've not, we would have not thought, you know, and you, you all took it to a different level of being part of being a grant recipient. Like, you know, this feels so community, this feels so natural in the work that we're doing. Um, and it's just like, this is where we belong. And it feels really great to belong, just like Laura said. Beautiful. Well, mahalo to you both for making the time to speak with us and share your story today. Mahalo. Thank you. Mahalo. Hawaii Rising is a podcast from the Hawaii People's Fund produced by me and me with additional support from Mickey. Our theme music is Revolutionary from the band Ukla the Mock, written and sung by Mickey Hui Hui. A big thank you to our community supporters and to you, our audience, for listening. Ahui ho! Dim spending done